Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Seven reasons to be thankful. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you. Lord, we are grateful. We have hearts filled with thankfulness and thanksgiving. Lord, we celebrate this holiday which originated with Abraham Lincoln. Lord, as he put forth that original Thanksgiving proclamation, this nation actually was a, a biblically moored holiday, one that we could pour out our hearts to you for the goodness that you've shown us. And it came at a time of terrible difficulty in this country. And maybe we need to remember from where we have come so that we can have hearts of thanksgiving, hearts that are just enraptured with you and honor you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. And so tonight, we give you afresh and anew our hearts that you would help us to have thankful hearts, Lord, grateful hearts for all that you have done. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Reason number one, Psalm 100, verses 4 and 5, and this likely is the big reason that we as Christians can be thankful, but notice what it says. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. The courts of God, the house of God, the heaven of God, the life of God, the people we are in Christ Jesus, the ones that that we have become because we are saved, we enter his courts with praise, give thanks to him and bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good. Amen? His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness is to all generations. In other words, the first reason that we have tonight to express thanksgiving all the time is in fact the God that we know, the God that we love, the God that we serve can be nothing else but good. Amen? He loves to give good gifts to his children. It doesn't mean that everything in our lives is good circumstantially, but it does mean that the God behind everything is in fact always good. This was so important to the Jewish people that David and Asaph recognized this And the Bible records for us there in Leviticus 7 and Nehemiah chapter 12 that they actually established priests in the temple precinct that their whole job was to remind everybody to tell God himself that God is good. They were were actually the messengers of God's goodness, of God's praise. And their task was to simply stand before the Lord and give thanks. That's all they did the whole time when they were in the temple. I wonder sometimes if we as a church have kind of forgotten who our God is. And so if we come into his house and it's like, you know, we look like we just ate an onion sandwich with lemons on it or something, you know, it's like, it's like, oh no, but no, God is still good. And he's eternally good. You know, sometimes we, we almost treat God like our kids treat us. You know, we're only good when we do good things for them. The rest of the time it's like, okay. They obey out of obligation. 
or they obey because they know those are the rules. God doesn't want that kind of relationship with you. He is good. His mercies endure forever. His steadfast kindness is abounding to us all day, every day. God himself is good. And that's a reason to be thankful. Think about if he was any other thing. Let me help you. God is sovereign. Well, it's great. He is. But you know what? Sometimes I'm not thankful for the sovereign workings of God. Because he allows bad things to happen to good people. I'm not thankful that for some reason he's allowed the enemy to exist in our world still. He hasn't locked him up yet and thrown him into the pit. God is sovereign. He has a plan for all that stuff. I'm I'm thankful for his sovereignty as, as well. But I'm really thankful that he is good. His sovereignty is good. His holiness is good. His love for us is good. Everything God is, he's good at. Actually, he's the best at. So we can be thankful tonight that no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in life, no matter what's happening, no matter what your turkey's going to look like tomorrow, some of you are more stressed out over your turkey than you are over your place with the king and the kingdom. You know, you wake up in the morning, you know, we put all that effort into it. And every, have you ever noticed how people have, they're like obsessed over their turkey recipe? It's like, well, it's got to be exactly three of these and four of those and six pieces of basil. And it's got to be put in. And it has to be exactly the right temperature. And it has to be cooked at the end. You take it out and it has to rest. And it's like on and on and on and on. And then at the end, you cut into it and you go, well, that's not very good. <laughs> we put all that effort into it. Or you have your favorite dish. Connie makes pecan candied yams and they're seven and a half thousand calories per yam per sweet potato and I love them but my heart doesn't like them you know my cardiologist probably is going oh no it's Thanksgiving get Jeff out of there there are a lot of things that we like but not all things are good but God is always good A second thing to be thankful for. And that's Jesus. Jesus. Never stop to think how thankful we should be all day, every day for Jesus, who he is, how he saved us. You know, that we're not bound by religion. Colossians chapter 3, verses 15 to 17. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. You know, you didn't do a thing to earn the peace of Christ. That peace was purchased with his blood. He died on Calvary's cross to destroy the enmity, the war that you had with God himself because of your sin. Jesus died. And for that reason, we should be thankful. It's like, Jesus, you saved me. Jesus, you fixed my problem. You took care of my life to which indeed you were called into one body, and be thankful, verse 15 says of Colossians 3. And let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching you, admonishing one another, in all wisdom and singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, 
with thankfulness. Thankfulness. Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Why? Because no Jesus, no heaven. No Jesus, you still own your sin. No Jesus, the wrath of God abides on us forever. No Jesus, we're still dead in our trespasses and sins. No Jesus means there's no hope. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I don't know if you've ever done a search. These are kind of fun things to do. And with all the tools you have on your cell phone, you can do these things very easily. So I encourage you to take up little tasks like this occasionally. But if you go through the Bible, you're going to find that there are at least 256. Some people say there's 258. I haven't found the other two. But I can tell you there are, in fact, 256 unique names for Jesus in the Bible. And you're probably saying, well, why do we care? Here's why you care. Because every one of those names is unique. Every one of those names means something different. It has a different characteristic. We might say it has a different spin or a different weight. It's something that when you look at it, it is wholly unique to that very specific name. And what that tells me is he is infinitely, incredibly beyond what any one name could describe. And we could call him Jesus. That's pretty good. Yehoshua. God himself is our salvation is the long version of it. That's a good one. Jesus, his name by itself is pretty good. But when you start looking at the other names, he's the Alpha and the Omega. First and last letter of the Greek alphabet. He's the beginning and he's the end. He was there before you and he'll be there when you're done. You see, you start looking at these things. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the author of life. He's the door. He's the bright, the morning star. He's the good shepherd. He's the holy and the righteous one. He's I am. When you start looking at who Jesus is, he's the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is the one who was He is the one who is. He is the one who is to come. He's the wonderful counselor, mighty God. He's the vine. He's the door of the sheep. He's the resurrection. He's the life. You understand what I'm saying? And we wander around, it's kind of like, well, you know, I'm kind of, yeah, I'm in Christ, which is good. Christos is a good name for Jesus as well. Messiah. Anointed one. But when you think about who Jesus is, 
He is your everything. That's why all these names exist. And that's a reason for us to be thankful. There's not one lack in your life that Christ can't fill. There's not one thing you're going through that he is not sufficient for. There's not one piece of counsel. He is the wonderful counselor. He is the mighty God. He's not stumped by any of your questions. He's not put off by your sin. And so when you think of reasons to be thankful tomorrow, why don't you think about Jesus? You see, it's okay to be thankful for your job, and you should be. You absolutely should be thankful for your family, for your spouse, for your children, your parents, your grandparents, your aunts, your uncles, your cousins. I personally am thankful for my silly dogs. There's lots of reasons, little things that we can be thankful for, but they don't compare to my Jesus. I should be in a perpetual state of thanksgiving because of who Jesus is in my life. A third thing, God's deliverance from adversity. And some of you are saying, well, I'm still in the middle of that adversity. Let me tell you what the Bible says about your adversity. It is for a season. It's only for a season. It might be a long season, but it's only for a season. It will not last indefinitely because Jesus has overcome the world. And so even if it is at your home going, your adversity should be on your list of things you're thankful for. Why? Psalm 31, verses 7 and 8. For I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love, because you have seen my affliction. You know the distress of my soul. You remember when Jesus was in the garden and he's sweating the great drops of blood? And he is distressed and yet at the same time comforted. In an eternally grateful way, every distressing thing that we are going through, God is fully aware of and Jesus is fully sufficient for. Have you known the distress of my soul? Have you not delivered me into the hand of the... Have you not set my feet... In a broad place. How are you facing adversity right now? And notice I didn't say be happy. The Bible doesn't say be happy about adversity. It says be thankful. It doesn't say you should jump up and down and go, Yay, I'm being persecuted. Because happiness is external. Joy and thankfulness are internal. One comes from your soul, the other comes from circumstance. Happiness is very different than joyfulness. A joy-filled heart can be joyous even in adverse situations. There's a wonderful book that I have. It's out of print now, but it's the autobiography of John Gibson Patton. Born in Scotland, 
1824. He died in 1907, but he was a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands in the South Pacific, just northeast of Australia. And when he landed there, he was literally the only uh, white person that he was aware of in the islands. And because there were slavers that were coming and taking the indigenous people away and using them for slave labor in various parts of the world, he, he became an advocate for the people, the indigenous people that lived there at great cost. He was shot multiple times by the slavers. He himself was taken captive. His wife was taken captive. And throughout his life, he had just maintained this position of he was going to do the right thing. And through it, he gained the trust of the people of the islands. And he began to show them ways to farm and began to show them ways to actually make hats and they could sell them and just gave them some tools to live life by. But as the indigenous people began to get a little more wealth, they kind of forgot about what John Patton had done. And one night, a very angry group, a hostile group of tribal leaders surrounded the mission station that he had built with his own hands. And they set it afire, hoping ultimately to either burn it down or burn out in the Patton family so that they could run them out and then kill them. All night long they prayed. And for some mysterious reason, the building would catch on fire for a little while and then it would go out. And they'd light it again and it would go out again. It was a primarily wooden structure. The Gibsons just simply prayed. And John wrote of his wife saying she didn't understand how the people that they had helped so much were trying to kill them. And so they just trusted themselves to the Lord. The night ended, daylight came. The attackers finally gave up and left. And about a year later, the chief of that tribe came to know Jesus. And he and John Patton sat down and began to have a conversation. And he recorded this in his autobiography. He said, why was it that you gave up? And the chief replied, who were all those men who were with you there? Patton knew that he and his wife were by themselves, and he said, nothing. And the chief looked at him, and he said, I was afraid to attack because we saw hundreds of big men in shiny garments with swords drawn circling the mission station. Sometimes we don't see the angels. Sometimes we don't see the hand of the Lord. Sometimes we just see the threats. Sometimes we just see the dangers. 
But when we wake up in the morning, the Lord has delivered us. Maybe he's delivered us into a new circumstance or situation. But our good God is also a delivering God who's with us in every single fight. And about himself, he has said, I will never leave you, nor will I forsake you, says the Lord. So thank him, because you probably don't have any idea how many things have happened in your life where there were angels unaware that were there because God had a different plan and you've been delivered, or I've been delivered. I count countless times in my own life. It's like, I really don't know why I'm still here. But I know who made it happen. A fourth reason. We've actually already received the ultimate deliverance here and now. It's called salvation, amen? That grace gift that we receive by faith. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Oh, death, I love this passage. Where is your sting? You know, when you're dealing with people who are in that space, in that place in life to where life is short. We got word two days ago that A man, doctor actually, that attends Calvary Chapel Ventura. They had just left service on Sunday. Was driving home. Live up in the Santa Barbara area. By himself, normally would have his wife and family in the car, but by himself. This is a doctor, a Christian, a man who uses his talents for the Lord. A tree fell on his car, and he tonight is in a vegetative state, probably not going to live. But his family is very aware that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But does it make sense from our perspective? Jesus has already defeated death, so death has no hold on us anymore. It's not the end. It's the beginning. It's not a threat. It's a reward. And so we see things differently. And so we live life differently with abandon. We're already dead in that sense. We've already passed from life unto death We've already given our lives over, so nothing that can happen to us in this life is actually ever going to result in that fear and terror that people without Christ experience. It isn't that place, and Paul knew that. The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes I I think we're not thankful for the fact that no matter what happens in this life, it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I think if we change our perspective a little bit and realize the the, the worst that can happen to us now is the best thing that happens to us in eternity, it changes the way we live in the here and now. 
It keeps us from getting overly concerned with the things of this life. And it focuses us towards heaven. And I'm not suggesting you should fake it. Bible doesn't say that Christians are supposed to go around, well, you know, there's nothing wrong with me. You know, we don't need to wander around with kind of a silly fake grin on our face. But we approach life from a different perspective than someone that doesn't know Christ. And it's a thankful perspective. I know where I'm going. And so I don't sit around with the same types of, you know, ultimate concerns. Do we think of those things? Do we concern ourselves with our health and those issues? Of course we do. But we don't see them from the eternally negative things. We see them from the eternally positive things. That to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. Amen? That's because of Jesus, by the way. That salvation you have secures your eternity. How about God's amazing provision for absolutely everything? Everything. Psalm 147. Sing to the Lord with thanksgiving. Make melody to our God. Make it on the lyre for he covers the heavens with clouds and prepares the rain for the earth. He makes the grass grow on the hills. He gives the beasts their food and the young ravens that cry. Psalm 50 says the beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills also his. The birds of the mountains, the wild beasts, they're all his. The world is mine in its fullness. God's not short. You know, sometimes we look at the things that we have in our grasp and we wonder if God ran out of goodies. We wonder if maybe God doesn't have a job for us or maybe God doesn't have that solution to the the problems that we face or maybe a home or some other thing. It's not because of a lack on God's side and we can be thankful for the things that he has given us, not unthankful for the things that he has not put into our path. Because if everything is his, and it is, then he knows what to do about our situation. That's why Jesus said, take no thought for tomorrow. For tomorrow has enough trouble for itself. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. He goes on to say, consider the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. He says, "Look look at these things from the natural world. They don't sit around and figure out how to be beautiful. Birds aren't concerned where their next meal is coming from. And if the Lord takes care of them, how much more value are you to him than they? And so God is good at providing for absolutely everything so we can be thankful instead of unthankful. I think... We all, at times, can be that perpetually grumpy Christian. Amen? Maybe you can't, but I can. I can look at things occasionally negatively. I think most people, if they're honest with themselves, they'll recognize that upon occasion we don't have this perspective. But a thankful heart, a grateful heart, someone that says, Lord, you are absolutely good, and if you have everything and I need something... Your word says, and you will supply all of my need according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So if I don't have it, there's some reason for it. If there's something going on and it it requires this provision, 
I can still be thankful for the fact that I haven't seen it yet because he must be storing something up really good. He's got a plan. You are precious to him. And so you can be thankful for what he's going to do before you see him do it. It changes our perspective, church. It really does. When I have an attitude, a heart's attitude of gratitude towards the Lord, when my thanksgiving is not predicated on the things that I possess, but on the one who gives them, then I can be thankful all the time. And so if you have the gratitude first, then everything is in its right place. If you try and get the gratitude from the thing, you will always be disappointed. Gratitude comes before the reception of the gift. That's why we need to have it in our hearts. We should be thankful for everything. I have a missionary pastor friend in Nicaragua. He goes by Juan Carlos, but I just know him as Juan. But he's a missionary and a church planter. He's planted dozens of churches all over the indigenous regions of the Mayagna people, which are kind of part Mayan in Nicaragua. And he was at a pastor's conference a couple of years back, and we were just sitting outside on a bench talking, me and my broken Spanish and him and his broken English, but it somehow worked. (laughs) Spanglish was the language of the day. And we kept both saying, yo no sabe, no, yo no sabe. <laughs> Como se dice eso? <laughs> but I asked him a question about how he perceived American Christians and how they differed from Christians in Latin America, Central America. His answer was pretty telling. He said, Americans have most everything they need. If they don't pray, if they don't read their Bible for weeks, it makes little or no difference in their daily lives. We can't do that. Because if I don't pray, my family doesn't have food. You don't pray, you still have a place to sleep and food to eat probably have regular income. And I don't mean to be picking on anybody, but that's an attitude of gratitude. That's a thankful heart. That's someone who recognizes that everything comes from God. And if we don't ask him, you have not because you do not ask or you ask amiss or you don't believe that God's able to do it, And maybe that thankfulness comes from that heart that understands that there's a great God who has a great plan, but not everyone gets the same portion all the time. And maybe if we were more thankful, maybe if we had a greater sense of gratitude, it would actually improve the way we see God and see the things that we possess. He is that God of Psalm 50. 
But you have to have the gratitude before you have the stuff. A sixth thing. The multitude of answered prayer. I was talking right before service. Precious man I've been praying for for a long time. He told me that God finally answered that prayer. Now, I got to admit, I was hoping God would answer that prayer over a year ago. But God answered that prayer. God did what was asked. Psalm 66, verse 16, Come and hear, all you who fear God. And I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth. And high praise was on my tongue. And if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly God has listened. And he has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God because he's not rejected my prayer nor removed his steadfast love for me. We could be here all night with just me telling you about the things that God has done personally for Connie and I. We wouldn't wouldn't get out. We have to take another day for each one of you. And if you look around the room, um, we're going to be here for a couple of years. Right? Say amen, church. We are. We're going to be here for a couple of years just recounting the many blessings, the answered prayers, the countless benefits that God has bestowed upon his children whom he loves. Some of them are very simple. Some of them are mightily complex. All of them are meaningful We have the Lord himself's word on this. There in Matthew 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. Everyone who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you if he asks a son for bread? Will he give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask? The multitude of answered prayer. And before you get too far along, how about the multitude of prayers that, the answer, that God answered no to? Where you ask him for dumb stuff. Anybody got those things to recount? I do. I've asked God for some lame things. I'm sure glad he knows better than I do what I need because he's answered those prayers with, no, Jeff, you're not getting that. No, Jeff, I'm not going to do that. No, Jeff, as a matter of fact, I'm going to leave you sick or I'm going to you know, allow something in your life that you don't understand. Prayers that... God answered in a way that you didn't want him to answer, but he was right and you were wrong. 
You know, sometimes we just thank God for the things that he said yes to. Amen? We should be thanking him for the things that he said no to because he was right on that account as well. William Wilberforce. Interesting life story. But to save time, he was mightily used in the abolition of slavery developed a sect in the Church of England called the Clapham's one of his friends William Temple the two of them used to debate on the floor of parliament and so they would go in and make these long orations that this is wrong it has to change we cannot continue to live like this this is something that must end and it must end now And people began to know both of them. And one of the times that they were caught praying because they would sneak in and pray for around three hours before every meeting of parliament and they could be found in some pretty odd places like closets and little side rooms, places they weren't supposed to be and sometimes they would actually get arrested for it. But as critics because nothing was happening the debate the same debate kept going on and on and on and on seemingly not making any ground finally there were some votes that headed the right direction things were happening the way they had been praying and a bunch of critics posted in the london times that this was just a matter of consequence and so they asked William Temple, what he thought about that. And he said, you know, I think you're right. When I pray, coincidences happen. And when I don't, they don't. The Lord's disciples were only asking for one thing. And that was for the Lord to teach them how to pray. So you want to call it coincidence? I will call it God answering prayer. You know, sometimes we just look at life as if our prayers don't matter. Our prayers matter. Your prayers matter. And we need to thank God that he is listening 24 hours a day, seven days a week. When you wake up in the middle of the night and you are afraid, God hears. When you don't know what to do with that circumstance at work, God hears. When you're not sure how to pray for your kids, God hears. When you need that job, God hears, and God answers prayer. And we can thank him for it before we ever see the results. Our our prayer should end with, thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. Kind of goes back to where we started. We sometimes forget to say thank you. God, if you answer no, thank you. If you answer yes, thank you. If you answer wait, thank you. God, help me to be thankful that you are actually going to answer my prayer. I have your word on it. Amen? And the final thing, and this will be a weird one for for you, all the troubles you face in life. That's a hard one to be thankful for, isn't it? Anybody have trouble, trouble with that one? I do. I'm not a, I'm not a 
fan of the things that the Lord allows into my life sometimes. I know you guys don't think the same way, but I do. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances. Please underline that. 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances. And here's why you're underlining it. You can underline the rest of the sentence. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Notice what it doesn't say. Give thanks in good circumstances. Give thanks in happy circumstances. Give thanks in abundant circumstances. Give thanks when things go your way. Give thanks when you don't have any problems. No, it says quite the opposite. It says give thanks in all circumstances and then it gives a qualifier which is found only five times in all of the Bible. For this is the will of God. This is one of those things that should be so much a part of our DNA as believers that you don't have to actually ask God if you're supposed to be thankful. Because the Bible actually tells us you're to be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's actual revealed will to everyone. That's why sometimes when I'm not thankful, I have to go, God, I'm sorry for not being thankful. I don't look at this problem the way you see it. I'm not seeing it as an opportunity for you to do a miracle in my life. I'm only seeing the problem. I'm only seeing the difficulty. I'm only seeing the stress. I'm only seeing the strain. And this is an area that, you know, me as a pastor, I can tell you I need to grow in. God's word doesn't declare to us that every moment of life is going to be something easy. But it does declare to us that every moment of life, we're to be thankful in all circumstances. Every last one of them. Good, bad, indifferent. It's my personal observation, not just in my own life, but in the life of many other people, that some of the most miserable Christians that I've ever met are people who wallow in bitterness, in self-pity, all the while blaming God for the things that are going on in their life. When the Bible says, in absolutely every circumstance, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And I think sometimes that that thankfulness in prayer, that thankfulness in attitude and heart, that thankful, that uplook is actually the solution that God gives us to get through that difficult time. When I approach the difficulty with thankfulness, I say, God, I don't understand this. You know God's actually okay with you saying you don't like things? Did you know that? You can actually pour your heart out and say, God, this stinks. This is awful. This is horrible. I don't like it. I don't understand it. God is perfectly okay with you being honest and upfront. You know why I can say that? Because he already knows what you're thinking. He's not going, oh, I didn't see that one coming. 
He knows how you feel. He knows what your emotions are doing. But what he's waiting for us to do, waiting for us to become, is to be grateful. For whatever reason, he's allowed this thing to come into our lives. It's like, Lord, you must have something really awesome up your sleeve. Because right now, what I see is some difficulty. And if I'm supposed to have a thankful attitude, and it's all the time, and I've got something difficult going on, then I need to stop and ask myself a very simple question. What is God doing? And when I do, I start taking out the things that don't make any sense scripturally. Well, it's not because God's perpetually a meanie. He's not angry with us. He loves us with an undying love. He has no capriciousness in his nature, so he's not just doing it like you're some you know, fourth grade science experiment with a young boy with a magnifying glass and you're the bug. You understand what I'm saying? God's not looking at you going, wow, I just want to see if Jeff can squirm today. He's not doing that. And so when I recognize that my attitude is the thing that needs to be altered, when my attitude is the thing that needs to be altered, and I allow God to alter my attitude, and my outlook becomes an uplook, all of a sudden I'm looking at that situation from heaven's perspective, not earth's. And I see it how God sees it. And all of a sudden, thankfulness isn't all that hard to come by. It may not feel the same as when someone calls you up and say, hey, just wanted to let you know, I'm sending you a million bucks today in the mail. And you get the check the next day. It comes FedEx. You know, it's pretty easy to get excited about that, right? You go, yay! Here in L.A., that means you can almost buy a house. <laughs> Is that nuts? Anybody else kind of like, what? But you see, when my attitude comes from inside, because it's God's will for me, all of a sudden I look at those things and I can be grateful internally, even when maybe I'm groaning a little bit circumstantially. A guy that I've learned to appreciate his teaching gift. That's Matt Chandler. He's the pastor of the Village Church there in Flower Mound in Texas outside of Fort Worth. Back in 2009, he was rushed to the ER. His wife came home, walked in the door and found him in the living room um, having a seizure. Found out he had a malignant brain tumor. And happy to say he battled that brain tumor and he seems to be perfectly okay now. But it took years. The pastor of a very healthy work of God, much like this church. And he was interviewed in the Dallas Morning News, and he said at the end of the day, I don't believe God gave me this cancer. But I do believe he could have stopped it, and he didn't. He said, So I had to ask myself, what blessing? does God want to put in my life that he would allow me to have cancer? Because I know he is good. Very wise words. 
What blessing does God want to put in your life because he's allowed something that you don't understand today? But because he's good and because there's not anything that's out of his purview and there's nothing that he can't do, if he's allowed it, he's allowed it for a purpose, for a reason. It's very normal for us to be thankful in good times. But the truly grateful person can actually be thankful when things are difficult, when they're hard. We're going to celebrate communion at the Lord's table because all of this stuff spells Jesus, doesn't it? It all flows out of the cross. If you haven't received the elements of communion, if you just simply slip your hand up, we'd be delighted to have one of the ushers come. I've got one up here, thank you. And give you those elements. This worship team makes its way back up. But these seven reasons, God in his goodness, Jesus is our Savior and Lord. God's deliverance from the adversity in your life. You're still here. He's delivered you. And ultimately, that final deliverance, as, as we are his kids and saved, we're going to end up in heaven one day. For God's provision for absolutely everything, there's nothing that you have in your possession, nothing you're steward over that didn't come from the hand of God. And so whether that's a lot or a little, it came from God. He answered prayers of every type and every kind, including the ones where he said no, and the troubles in life that mold us and shape us. I want you to notice something about each one of these things. They have absolutely nothing to do with, nor are they specific, nor are they positive. They're not circumstantial. Every one of them are yours. They are yours. You already possess them in Christ. They're not things you have to go searching for. They're not things that you have to learn. There are things that because of who you are in Christ, they are right now tonight true. They're true because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. They are the story of every believer. So where are you on that scale of gratitude tonight? Where am I? Where are we? You know, let's face it. If you have family, you have issues. Right? If you happen to have the perfect family, we're all going to come over and watch. (laughs) You know what I'm saying, right? We don't, do we? Yeah, we all have wonderful things that we think about and things that are going to be great. And, you know, you're going to have party or Thanksgiving t- dinner tomorrow. You're going to be like, well, at least we got the turkey right this year, but everything else was kind of a disaster. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that could change your attitude of gratitude if you let it. When those thoughts come, Think on these seven things because they're yours and they come from the hand of a gracious God who loved you enough to put his own son 
on Calvary's cross to give them to you. They're all part of the grace gift. You get God's goodness because of who you are in Christ. You get Jesus as your Lord and Savior because it's part of who you are as a, as a believer who said yes to his offer of grace. That deliverance, you're ultimately going to be delivered from everything. You're going to go to heaven. All these things are true. So when you think on that, how did you get them? If you take the seal off of that matzah, take out the bread, let me tell you how you got them. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took the bread out. He's sitting with the disciples at a table, triclinium actually, kind of partially facing each other to where they could see him. They could look into his eyes and Jesus took out the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you so that your body doesn't have to be broken. So that you can experience my goodness. So you can have my blessings. So you can live in my heaven. So that you can be delivered from sin and death. So that nothing that has ever fashioned against you can prosper. So that all things that you have need of, my Father will provide. We could go on and on and on. Jesus said, this is my body broken for you as often as you eat of this bread do so in remembrance of me and be thankful still at the same table later in the meal peel off that seal on the cup interestingly enough the cup that Jesus was about to sup from was guess which cup the cup of thanksgiving it was the third cup it was the cup of thanksgiving also called the cup of hallel or the cup of praise but it was the cup of thanksgiving And when he took the cup and he blessed it, he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant. My blood shed for the remission of sin. And as often as you drink from it, do so in remembrance of me and be thankful. Let's partake together. just stand and we'll pray together. Lord Jesus, with thankful hearts, we declare that you are our everything. Lord, apart from you, we can do nothing but by you and through you, we can do all things as you strengthen us. 
Lord, that your word declares that you are good and your mercy endures forever. Lord, that you are more than sufficient and in you we are more than conquerors. That what you did on that cross, Lord, defeated the devil. You put death to death. You paid the price for our sin. Lord, the sin that would have kept us from heaven. You paid the entire debt. The full measure of my sin was placed on you, Jesus. And so, Lord, we thank you tonight. As we have supped from the cup of the new covenant, or that cup was the cup of praise, the cup of thanksgiving, and Lord, we are a thankful people. And so, God, we thank you. Lord, we ask that you'd be watching over every one of our families, that you would cast down everything that exalts itself against you and your plans for our lives. But Lord, there are people here tonight that are hurting. Maybe they're lonely. God, would you be their strength and shield and portion, strong tower for those that don't have a place to go. God, would you be their comfort? Would you bring them into that wonderful family of God and just provide your goodness. Father, we thank you for those that were served yesterday, some 160 families here at this church. It'll have a meal tomorrow because of your goodness. Lord, you are good. And we thank you for that goodness. We thank you for the cross. Lord, thank you for going to that cross and dying in our place, shedding your blood to take care of the debt of our sin. We are eternally thankful. We'll never, ever, ever again not be thankful, Lord. Bless us, fill us, or give us an awesome time just recounting your goodness now as we praise you. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.